and welcome to episode 103 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Uh, Steven, there is a slight ringing in my ear right now. You should get that looked at by a doctor or a medical trained persons. Yeah, uh, there was this uh, this moment. Morty, open your eyes. There was this moment the other day where uh, I was I was sitting there drinking my morning coffee and uh, reading the paper, and this high-pitched squeal resonating from somewhere off in the horizon, and then I checked my Twitter feed, at, or not Twitter feed, I guess it would be Facebook. No, you didn't, because you don't read Twitter. I know I don't, so I or check online, I check, yeah. up, I check online, and sure enough, Final Fantasy IX has been announced. <laughs> See? Yes, the squeal heard around the world. <laughs> Look. This one was much less guaranteed. They never did a PC port back in the day, so they didn't. They couldn't just, you know, not that they didn't touch up the seven PC port and the eight one, but like they had already made them, so they just had to add the Game Shark codes in. This one was much less guaranteed, but it looks so good. And then this morning, we had the high pitched squeal that the director of Shadow Hearts is making a new game, and that blew out the left side of my eardrums. So thank you for that, Stephen. Wait, so I'm sorry. He was. But he's made it. I'm not that. I'm not as excited about, about that as people seem to think, though. They're not making. They can't make a new Shadow Hearts because they don't own the rights. And that guy has made games since Shadow Hearts. But still, it, it was a it was a moment of I mean, of jubilation. They, but he also did say he'd like to make a game that is what that is for Shadow Hearts fans. And I'm like, all right. So a Judgment Ring game that would be nice. So and one yeah. day Stephen was on the right side of your head, and the other day he was on the left side. Is that what you're saying, Rob? Yeah, one, one, maybe maybe it was my head was turned one side or the other. That's Caitlin Argyros, everybody. Uh, Caitlin, stop calling Ray Mary Sue uh, Argyros. There are no yes. Mary Sues in the Star Wars galaxy. There's nobody else who's a crack shot, an amazing pilot, a good gearhead. There's no one else like that. Shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, we just I have. Yes, there are, but they're men, so it's okay. Yeah, we had little Anakin blowing up the droid ship. We had Luke turning off his targeting computer. This is plot racing. Yeah, I, I don't uh, know. I'm that's, a pilot, you know. Of all the things to complain about with the new Star Wars movie, that is, uh, that's not one of them. Because I mean, how how dare Star Wars have a strong, capable female lead who doesn't no, need they, anyone else to, that, you know, that young fix lady, things and fly ships and and can you know kick ass. The, that. that not that we're here to talk about Star Wars, but I also really like the sort of double – we shouldn't talk too much about Star Wars. But like the double function of like having Finn try to grab her hand a lot in the beginning because he's never had a connection with anyone, so he's concerned. But she also doesn't need him to do that. So it's like it's establishing both of their characters through their reactions to that. God, that was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and Or like when he gets up after getting railed by the gun – and is like, or like the the ship, and he's like, "Are you okay?" And she's like, "What?" And and that young actress, what is it, Ridley Davis, I believe. Daisy Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Da- Daisy. Wow, I just completely. She has it. the reaction face that I, directors dream of. She was just for her to handle herself in this role, and to to actually be able to stand up to Harrison Ford and not be belittled by him on scene. Oh, just very impressive. Like that, that young lady, I I was just like, good, good on you. Like that, that's awesome. I have an unapologetic crush on her. Yeah. (laughs) I think, I think she really captured that sort of when, when she's, you know, meeting Han and, and learning about the force, that sort of awe and, and, uh, 
admiration that we all have for the for the franchise and for the original movies too it was just perfect got, got a little misty-eyed at that part i'll admit it i yeah. i got i got the, every time they went to the original john williams music it was like a knife in my heart like just like up oh, here come the feels here come the feels golly okay and and, and the new music was actually really good too but it, it's it's, I just bought the soundtrack. Yeah, we were listening to it the other day, uh, Jackie and I were, and, and it's it's really good, but I don't have the emotional connection with those pieces yet. Um, so it's I like think, I think I like your use of the term yet, because we had you know three movies to get used to them before. Exactly, yeah. and I actually think the prequels over relied on the themes, particularly yeah. in the area of using the Imperial March for the clone army. Or using parts of the Imperial March, and then they didn't use it until it was the actual Empire at the end. But I think the prequels had good music, but overall, we're I, all... I, I, I actually am on the side. I appreciate their restraint in not reusing old themes too much in this one, just where it was effective. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, we're we're all very happy with Star Wars. It was enjoyable. I like to be proven wrong, and I was. I have some nitpicks here and there, but overall, I'm excited again for the franchise in a way that I haven't been since 1999. So, yeah. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. It has Rob's seal of approval, yep. and he's a, he's a tough critic, as remember, you all well know. Yeah. yeah, remember all the times we had to convince Rob that J.J. Ames wasn't going to tank the movie? Yeah, but J.J. Abrams did do exactly what we all wanted J.J. Abrams to do and what he's known for. It just worked this time. So I, th- I think we were all kind of right on that one. So Moving on. I also yes. think I f- forgot what I was going to say anyway. So yeah, let's move on. <laughs> so 2015, everybody. It's over. Uh... Thank God, in some ways, but uh, 2015 was a cool year for RPGs. There, there were, there were some real standouts here and there. So we kind of want to do our wrap up, talk about some things that really stood out to us before we uh, look toward the future and 2016 and some of the games to really get excited about. Persona. Uh, so, like, what do you guys? What do you guys kind of take away from? 2015 like what what were some of the standout moments for you guys some of the games that really like have resonated with you and you're going to be thinking about them for some some time to come 2015 had so many good games i forgot the pillars of eternity came out in 2015 played a lot of really good games pillars of eternity was i mean i i own it and i've been like trying to play it but every time i reach for it on my pc i see something else that i want to play and i end up getting massively distracted because i know that that's going to be this like like massive rpg to jump into and so it's a little intimidating right now like coming after so many big games there's almost a like i kind of want to play go ahead good no you go you go you go i was gonna say i think it's important to distinguish big game from open world game which i'm gonna point out later that i'm done with those they'd stop making uh Pillars is not open world. It is a large game, but it is also not large in the sense of I'm going to be playing this for 400 years collecting radio towers. Yeah, the uh, the the I think that's something you and I have talked about a lot, like through Steam chat and stuff is like the open world game design. And we felt it. over it. Yeah, it's a real shame, too, because I think that there were some games this year that 
would have benefited by getting away from that. Like uh, we played a little bit of Dying Light at the very beginning of the year, and we ended up coming down on the not covering that as an RPG. I felt like it had lost a little too much from Dead Island, and it was a brand new franchise, so it didn't it didn't quite sing to me the the way in an RPG. But like the first time I had to go up a radio tower in that game, I was like, really? Like so the the Ubisoft game design is going everywhere, and then you know way later in the year in September we got Metal Gear Solid Five and this amazing stealth engine that suffers because you're just doing the same things over and over again. You're doing the the open world game design 101. And I, I'm wondering... It's not a very compelling open world either. No, it's not. It's so empty. But like when you get to the bases, it's so impressive. So like I... I didn't actually... It, the weird thing is I didn't like... Um, I didn't like Metal Solid 5's open world. And I actually... I wasn't super interested in stuff like uh, Far Cry because I was tired of the open world in those games, but I liked it in Witcher 3. I love it in Xenoblade, so I don't know if it's just finding a good balance that is the key, or if if I'm, I don't know, if RPGs are a little bit less partial to the whole, you know, stupid climb this tower to unlock these viewpoints and then do these mundane, menial things over and over again. I agree with you because I think The Witcher and Xenoblade don't have as much of the BS menial tasks that you're going to complete over and over again. Like the side missions in Metal Gear Solid Five, once you've played one or two of those side missions, it's the same thing. All the thing. same. Right, and, and it's a real shame because the actual mechanics of that game are fantastic. Yeah, like, it's it, the best the series of it has ever had. Yeah, no, no Metal Gear game has played that well in terms of stealth, but there's no reason to do anything in that game. Like, there, there's no... Uh, I I know Steven will disagree with me if he could talk right now, but it, I know he'll disagree with me, but, like, the boss battles in that game are atrocious. Like, they're, they're just flat-out not fun. They're not as dynamic as other Metal Gear boss battles. The story is anemic and completely falls apart. Story is the worst thing. I'm sorry. The story has always held together the Metal Gear Solid experience for me, and I can't stand that it sucks so bad in this yeah, game. Yeah, and it, it's a real shame because I feel like the shell of that game is very well made. Meanwhile, you take something like The Witcher, which doesn't have those radio tower moments. Like, you walk into a town, and like as soon as you walk into a town, someone might run up to you and be like, hey, we have a werewolf problem. You, you're a witcher. We need help. And then you start investigating, and you find out that there's more to the story than meets the eye, but there, there's, there is a little bit of that repeated, that, that repetition over and over again with like using your Witcher senses to follow the footprints. Like there is a little bit of that, but I don't think it ever reaches that saturation point of like driving you away as a player. Yeah. And Thunderblade, Thunderblade is actually a little bit worse in that respect because you'd have to place probes and, it un it opens up the hexagons and the map around you so you can see what you can do in those areas. So it's kind of a similar concept, but it doesn't tire me out the way it does in like an Assassin's Creed game or in Far Cry or whatnot for some reason. I think it's partly just because the world itself is a lot more interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you play and one, you know, open world Ubisoft game and it may be set in different places, but I mean to a certain extent, you play one, you play them all. They don't necessarily have a lot of distinguishing features in the world themselves. It's all like, oh, it's a big city, or it's here's an open area. But, I mean, 
it doesn't quite, I feel, grab me as much as something like The Witcher 3 or Xenoblade's open worlds do. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that what these open world games really need to do is move away from the repetition, maybe focus on the storytelling. There were a couple moments in Dying Light where I actually found characters that had interesting stories to tell. And I was like, wow, more of this. Like, please, more of this. Less of the, oh, go over here and unlock a chest. Like, more of the, give me something that fleshes out this world, that makes this world feel more unique. And Fallout did a little bit of that, but there were too many moments in Fallout where I found, you know, a new shed or a a new farm. And I, I went in and there were some ghouls and I killed them. And then I picked up some supplies and then I moved on. And there were little bits of story sprinkled throughout, but it, I don't know, it's just the these open world games, it feels like developers are spending so much money and resources on these open world games, and yet it, it just doesn't quite get there. And I, I'm wondering what's the point right now. Yeah. Because then, it's gotta be big. Well is that this is like this is that that's the thing. If that's the thing of the current generation, it's open world is like everyone wants open world, or at least they think that we want nothing but open worlds. I think in concept, open world sounds awesome, and then it turns into this is a less focused experience. It's I, th- I think an open world game tends to be more based on its systems, which in theory should be better, but that means that when you have something designed with a systemic approach, there's nothing... It's not designed for the individual moment, which is, I think, a fundamental incompatibility with Metal Gear. Like, yep. Metal Gear mm-hmm. 5 is fun, but no single moment of that game ever stands out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like you might generate your own personal story that's fun, but it's never going to be a narratively driven moment. It's going to be like, yeah, I snuck behind this guy and like attached a razor mind to him. And then he walked in and shredded the other guys. Sorry, I was thinking of Dishonored. Uh, which which somehow managed to, to kind of have the smaller sandboxes. I'm glad you brought that game up. And, you know, the new Deus Ex, one of the games yes, I'm I most. Was... Go ahead. Go ahead, Caitlin. The, go ahead. No, yeah, I, the, I was, I was literally just thinking is... about that. That's And that, to me, is more meaningful choice than the purported choice in open world games. Dishonored, Deus Ex is a great example. Uh, and it's like I said, with Pillars of Eternity, too, you know, you don't have... It, it sort of goes back to the mid-90s PC RPG style of there's a lot of flexibility and choice within these areas that are not giant, but they're not small. But because they're not gigantic like the way an open world is, they can be designed for a more minute, narratively focused experience, or at least the experience of the player is more than just, well, they're interacting with systems. It's why how everyone loves Shadow of Mordor, and I just found that game to be rote and horrible. It's like, yeah, this is really fun for the first hour, but I'm going to do the same loop for the rest of this game. Mm -hmm. I, I, I tried playing that game over at your place, Stephen, for like an hour, and I was tired of it in an hour, and I did not want to play any more of it. And and, and that's sort of the problem I'm having with so, with why I'm so fatigued. And I know you're you're loving it. Like I I was lagging a little bit, so I couldn't get in there. I I still really like Xenoblade, but even Xenoblade, I'm playing, and I'm like, I'd rather be playing the first game. The 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 gameplay enhancements in that game are great, and I don't even mind the probes that much. But they are essentially radio towers but they're sort of integrated into the plot a little differently. It's not like you have to go get these so you can 
reasons. But, you know, it, the, the point of the game is that you're surveying a planet and, you know, there's more to the metagame, like when you have to link your link probes and, you know, it's sort of the, the economy of the world ties into your story progression. It's it is still a radio tower scenario, but I had a lot more fun hunting down uh, probe sites than I did, you know, in any other game where it's like, oh, go climb the tower or whatever the hell, yes. whatever reasons are. Um, but again, that's the biggest reason that I doubt I'll finish Xenoblade compared to the first one, because I'm just not compelled. I feel like it's like, well, it doesn't matter where I go, because there's no single memorable moment anywhere. It's like, yeah, I found something pretty, but that's it. Well, I'll disagree. There are memorable moments, but... it, it feeds, I mean, narrative memorable moments. There are, I, found I still something, disagree. I found something pretty, and, you know, it tie, it's like the first game. It ties into combat really well. Uh, you know, so I, I'm constantly feel like I'm driven by the combat in Xenoblade versus like, I, I could not care less about any of the characters in that game. And I, I've done a lot of the affinity missions and I do think at least as far as I've made it. And I do think that, you know, it's, there's more to the story than just the main story. That's definitely the case. And I, I think I, it's a much more. Skyrim or Oblivion type of we're going to tell story because it's all these side stories that, you know, feed into the main one with your ter- in terms of your characters and such. Um, but I definitely feel like the shift to a focus on open world explorer type has hurt the personality of the game dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same way it did in Metal Gear. You know, I actually I think Xenoblade and Metal Gear are both great examples. Xenoblade 1, I realize now, I definitely was playing that game for the story, even though I, I did like the combat. And even though all the gameplay systems are better in the new one, I just find a lot of it to be forgettable. Mm-hmm. And that's the same problem I have with Metal Gear. Well, the other day I was chatting with Steven through texts, and he was yelling at me for not playing Pillars of Eternity, and I said, look, I have a serious problem, and it's that every time I beat Bloodborne, I pick a new character, and I pick a new weapon to master, because that game is so filled with these moments. Like, I get excited when I'm about ready to fight Father Gascoin again. I get excited when I'm going to fight... Gascoin. I I get really excited because those moments... Those moments are telegraphed in that game in the way that the old PS1, PS2 era games that are really part of my childhood, that, that are part of my upbringing. Like, I got excited when it was time to fight Fat Man in Metal Gear Solid 2. Like, I got excited when... Uh, you know, the Final Fantasy... Uh, I'm forgetting his name. Final Fantasy X Seymour. I got excited the first time I had to fight Ooh, him. Like, Seymour Guado. Like, I... Like, those moments <laughs> stand out in my memory because they've been telegraphed by the designers. Like, this is the moment we've been leading you towards. And in these open world games, you have completely amazing moments that might happen that feel very dynamic and fluid, but they could also happen over and over again. Like, me and D-Dog, we infiltrated a lot of bases, and we tranked a lot of dudes, and it was fun, but we infiltrated a lot of bases, and we tranked a lot of dudes. Like, it started getting a little old. So, there there are two open world games next year that I actually am a little excited about, and it's kind of funny because they're both so similar in ideas. Far Cry Primal looks like it's going for a completely different direction that could end up being just as repetitive as the other games, but going to a, you know, 
ancient setting and using ancient weaponry instead of using guns seems like a smart idea. And then the uh, PlayStation exclusive Wild, uh, I think that's Michelle Ansel's new game where like you're basically like a prehistoric man with voodoo powers. Like do something to flip the table. You know what I mean? Like it was cool to fly around Arkham as Batman, but like I don't need to do it again. It was cool to play and again and again and again and again and again. Right. Like I, I I think that this is one of those things where when my students ask me, like, hey, Steinman, you excited for the new Fire Cry? Or, hey, are you excited for the new Call of Duty? And I'm, my answer is always no. And it's Call not, of Duty. It's not a hipster response. It's very much a, I have already played those games. I would like to play something different. And, like, even when I was a kid... Rob's like, I would like to play Bloodborne 2. <laughs> no, no, that's actually not true. If they announced a Bloodborne 2 next week, I would actually be upset. And I've said that before on the show. And I, I'm not saying that in a pissing manner. I'm saying that I have played that game. I very much enjoyed it. I think they've done what they needed to do with it. I would like, we've talked before, I'd like Miyazaki to make a freaking sci-fi game where I'm using laser rifles. Like, tr- d- just flip the table. Do something different. Like, I can only take those experiences so many times. That's the same reason why one of my favorite games from last generation, Dead Space 1 and 2, when 3 came around, it wasn't just the microtransactions that killed that game for me. It was also the fact that it was just the same damn thing again. Just I, badly, badly, badly done. Yeah, yeah. Like the pacing was out the out the window, which was a real shame. But like all of the nuance of the systems was gone. Right, and and like even the new Uncharted, by adding that rope swing stuff and really <sighs> seeming to blow open the environments a little bit more and allowing you to move all around, that has me excited because that can make those those fights that feel very con- that felt very constricted. In Uncharted 1 and 2, the two games I played that really frustrated me, that could really open that up. That might be exciting. So, you know, it's this balance that developers really have to go for of adding new content to keep people interested. But also, you know, don't be afraid to just shake up the formula a little bit here. Like, if... Introduce a little anarchy. Into the system. Uh... Uh... If CD Projekt was like, here's uh, another, here's Witcher 4, which we know they're not working on, but if they were like, here's Witcher 4, and it's more land and more quests, I think you'd have a little bit more of the reaction that I felt so strongly to Fallout 4, which was, I've played this before. Like, I loved Oblivion the first time I played it. I loved Fallout 3. I really enjoyed Skyrim. And now you're giving it to me again, and... Mm. Part of me actually wonders if Mass Effect Andromeda will be very similar to Dragon Age. Uh, yeah. Obviously, as a shooter. Um, to Inquisition, you mean? Or, or yeah, yeah, Inquisition. Like they're so fundamentally different in terms of gameplay style that I feel like it would work. But I do hope. You know, I like I, I sort of wonder, like, because obviously it'll be informed by the design of Inquisition, because that would just be smart. But. I'm curious, because, like, Inquisition had the big areas, but fewer numbers of them. I feel like Mass Effect could get away with, like, moderately large areas, but I would love it if they finally sort of expanded on Mass Effect 1's large number of planets that all sort of had nothing on them, except for, like, a facility. Not that, but the thing is, that was still sort of fun, because that still created an illusion that you were in a big chunk of space and going to planets. I would love it if they, like, take the hinterlands and chop it into 10 areas with unique, you know, biomes or something like, but I wonder how similar mass effect Andromeda will be to inquisition in terms of the thrust of the game. 
it's funny that you brought up Mass Effect because I I was having this like real moment of I I almost fired up all three Mass Effects again because I'm realizing like I really like those games like they were really really fun the first game really did its best to turn me off because you guys know my stance on RPG mechanics when it plays more like an action game and I didn't like the dice rolls but Mass Effect two and three. Those are fantastic shooters. Like, they play very well as shooters. And some of the environments, especially in 3, there were some real standout moments of, like, I had to think really tactically. And I ended up enjoying those games more as shooters than the Uncharted games. And I think that that was a really good sign for Bioware. And it's like, how do you take that real meticulous design of throwing these different enemies at you to create this variety and really get you to think and play well with all the different classes you had available to you? How do you then switch that into Dragon Age Inquisition if they're going to go for these big, large open worlds? I mean, is is the new Shepard going to be like sitting in the tall grass like Snake and sneaking up behind people and interrogating him? Like, well, I, I to be fair, I also think maybe we're extrapolating a little bit much because they haven't said much about it. No, but I, yeah. think, no. I, I would be I would be shocked if Andromeda does not have some form of. Not open world, because Inquisition isn't technically open world. It just sure, has the sure. Inquisition has those very, very large scale areas. Which they but played I around also... with a little bit in Origins. The first couple areas in Origins are absolutely huge, and then they kind of went to more dungeon-y designs. So that was already kind of there. Now, I didn't mean to cut you off, but... But no, but yeah, like, and I think it worked really well for Inquisition, because you had big areas that you could sort of sink your teeth into, and to an extent they were sort of open worldishly designed. But there was a lot more attention to detail. I don't know that those wide open spaces would work for Mass Effect universally. Because, um, you know, if you have this shooter, you need to have... And that's that's the sort of concern I'm bringing up, is that are they going to have just these wide open spaces, you know, that... There's waist-high con- cover sprinkled all over the place. <laughs> yeah, well... Down trees the, the, as far as the, the thing, eye can see. The thing, the thing with a shooter is that you have areas designed to make for fun shootouts mm-hmm. and you know if you could just have a shootout anywhere unless the world is designed in like a series of, of multiple height squares you know it, it it would be weird but you know again i was skeptical of inquisition and really really like that game so i you know maybe i brought up that example you know mass effect just to for the sake of argument what's what's another open world game coming out uh do you really have to think about that one hard, Stephen? <laughs> no, I really do. I can't. Assassin's Creed next year. I had another. Uh, I had no. It's a game I care about. It's a. I, See what? what well, I, go ahead, Caitlin. Go ahead. Are we? Are we? Uh, we still have games from this year or last year. Sorry, I'm well, forgetting it's 2016. Well, well, let me transition there a little bit, with, which was, you know, a game that I got very heated about on the podcast, and you know, going back and listening to it, I, I talked about how, you know, maybe maybe got a little too too emotional with it but like what i kind of want with my open world games is a reason to replay them like i really like replaying games i I love seeing different permutations of things that can happen you know trying out a different weapon in bloodborne or the reason i played fallout 3 so many times was because of all those monumental decisions and i think maybe smaller open worlds with more dramatic effects I played Dragon Age Origins like eight times through when I when I that game really sunk its teeth into me because there were some not just the origin stories at the beginning of the game, but these huge giant shifts that you could make by by your decision making and the way it would play out that to me was so engrossing as a player 
So I guess what I kind of want in my games, and this is where I got very frustrated with Fallout 4, was you know, shrink the world size down a little bit. You know, if you want to have these big, massive open world games, that's fine. But, you know, make it so that I feel like an element in the open world and not so much, you know, hey, you want to come over here and see this thing? Oh, we, we spent a lot of time on this thing over here. You should come over and take a look at this. Oh, but don't forget this dungeon over here. You've got to check this out. Like, be brave enough to cut large sections of the game off from me for my decision. Make it more personal. Maybe I'm crazy for wanting that. Maybe that doesn't jive with a lot of gamers out there, and it's a huge risk. But I kind of like the whole, screw it, I made a, I made a mistake, and I'm just going to keep going. Like, I, And I did that with Witcher, and it was very freeing as a player. See, I, I'm a little different. I do not like to replay. I don't replay open world games, and I actually don't like... You know, you can, it's like, you know, there are a lot of people who, as an example, replay Dragon Age Inquisition. I, re, I would replay Origins because it's, the scope is small enough that I will remember the things I did the first time mm-hmm. <laughs> in certain areas. But I don't care what I did when, in one playthrough of Inquisition versus another because it's all meaningless. Like, not that that game isn't full of interesting things to do and memorable areas. But, you know, I'm not going to make another character and just be, oh, I was nice before. Now I'm a dick. And look how different it is. It's like, I'm not remember, I don't remember how different it is. I did too much. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I, and you know, I'm, I know a lot of people like to replay their, their Bioware games and all that such, but I just, I'm not, a, I don't like to replay things. Like the experience I had once is the one I did playing the way I wanted to be. Uh, you know, I mean, there are exceptions. Like, you know, you play a game with a different build. Or, you know, a different fighting style that, you know, like Pillars, I beat Pillars and almost immediately started a new file with a new character. And that to me is interesting because then you're playing the game differently. It's not just I picked Uh a different dialogue option or instead of murdering the bus full of children, I saved the bus full of children. Like, sorry, I had to make fun of Infamous a little. (laughs) (laughs) Strangely enough, I have a similar reaction with Dragon Age where I don't. I didn't. I only played Origins once the entire way. Like I tried another character and I couldn't couldn't do it. And um, for the most part, Dragon Age Two was the same way. And I don't think I'll ever play Inquisition again, um, even though I really liked it. But on the flip side, with Mass Effect, I had a lot of fun creating multiple shepherds. Some of which were pretty drastically opposite. Like I had my cannon shepherd is is a paragon, but I had fun making a super badass renegade shepherd as well, and changing up who they were nice to and who they romanced and things like that. And it was kind of fun. And I have a distinct image in my head of my main shepherds. Mm-hmm. Like oh, I, yeah. I can actually picture them hanging out together in my mind. Whereas I try to think about when I tried to make characters, other characters in Dragon Age, and I can't, I can only really picture like my Dragon Age Origins original character. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's just a difference in the approach in these two games from the same developer or if something that just really spoke to me in Mass Effect, but that's why I'm kind of hoping that Andromeda will do that, the same, the same thing, but I, we don't I really think... know a lot about what, who the who you are in Andromeda and what's going on in Andromeda? I think Mass Effect characterizes you a lot more too, and that makes a difference. Like mm-hmm. the difference between Paragon and Renegade is not I'm evil, I'm good. It's you know it's I'm ruthless or I'm saint-like. But Shepard is characterized so strongly through dialogue and like the way the game reacts to you is so different. 
I think, and it's, again, when you have an open world like Inquisition, it's hard to remember the individual moments of, like, oh, how did somebody react to me punching this guy in the face? Or... Yeah. Um... Like, the, you know, the irony is, is that Mass Effect takes place over an entire galaxy, but it feels like a more personable, mm-hmm. uh, smaller experience in terms of the main character and your party members and, and what you do versus Dragon Age. Even though Dragon Age is just one area of one continent on one planet. And And yeah, and that's exactly the point I was making earlier is that Smaller games almost feel bigger. bigger to me because I remember details of individual areas. I don't remember anything about so many open world games I've played, even ones I've liked a lot. You know, like I think back, like Grand Theft Auto 3, I know that city perfectly because I that was like yep. one of the first open world games I played. And it mm-hmm. was like, you know, I played it so much and did all of the side missions. But now I'm like, I just don't care about doing all of these little exclamation points scattered all over the map. And I don't, you know, it's, you know, I just don't know the areas. And it's, it's something I would give credit to a game like Final Fantasy XIV, which isn't really open world. But because you do so many things in that world, I do know that world well. So little, de- like, FF14 does a great job between patches of having some areas change with the story. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, towns will grow up. And that felt more meaningful to me, especially as someone that was playing the game over a long period of time, because I knew Mordona really well. And then all of a sudden, there's a bunch of new construction there. And I'm like, oh, there's a bridge up here now. And why is this here? And, you know, and they would tie it into the story. And a game like Mass Effect is the same way. It's like, yeah, I remember this planet because this is where these things happened. And I was doing something here versus I was interacting with systems here and not interacting with a world. Yeah, see, I think... We talked about how you just picked up um, Trails of Cold Steel. I think you will enjoy it for kind of that reason, because that's kind of been my reaction to it. Is It's a much smaller world in the sense of what you can explore in the game compared to things like, you know, uh, even Mass Effect, really, even. But because the focus is so much more on characters and story and giving you that tight experience it feels larger it helps that it's set in a place where there are lots of other stories you may have played them in the other games there's a big empire with lots of history but you don't have you don't feel like you have to explore this vast land to get that story you can get it in a smaller experience well think of how memorable the towns in persona 3 and 4 are Mm -hmm. yeah like, I know Yasuo Inaba, and I know, now I can't remember the name of the city in 3, but, um, you know, I know those areas because, yeah, it's a smaller space, but they are packed with moments that I remember. Like, I remember in, in like, Persona 3, like, when Junpei gets mad that he's not the leader, and he goes and sits on that bench, and then he meets Chidori. Like, that's, you know, it's it's just so much more memorable to me than... Yeah, I was playing Fallout, and there was a tower from a place in Boston that I know, and then a million nonsense things around it, and there were raiders on the thing shooting me, and I don't remember, something happened, whatever. So, like, I go back to Dishonored, which, again, kind of had those narrow, small sandboxes. So lots and lots of player agency, lots and lots of decisions on how to do something, and that's why, you know, I bring up Metal Gear over and over again, is because... 
it's still a game based around moments. It's not making you make your own fun or having this repetition over and over again of doing things, but it's giving you lots of freedom in how you handle things. And so, so I think that's kind of what I'm looking for. I want us to get away from the open world games. Like I want a game like Dying Light to stand on its own and not feel the need to have me climbing radio towers. Like have be be strong in what you are. Like you be have this, strong. You have this amazing parkour system that Assassin's Creed should be ripping off left and right cuz Dying Okay, now now it just sounds ridiculous. Like that sounded like a fart, Steven. <laughs> There's literally nothing moving in there. Caitlin it's not. I can hear it. If I can hear it, it can't be me. <laughs> I don't have the monitoring on my mic on, so I cannot hear myself. So if I'm hearing it, it's not coming from me. Can't hear it anymore. Okay, I'm going to keep going. So you were saying about Dying Light. Yeah. Like, Dying Light has this amazing parkour system that Assassin's Creed should be going out of its way to rip off because it plays better than any of the Assassin's Creed games, but then it's not giving you interesting things to do with these systems. Metal Gear gives you this amazing stealth system. It doesn't give you a reason to use its amazing stealth system other than to do meaningless side quests over and over again. So, like, I really wish developers would kind of move away from the open world games and start getting back to why are we doing what we're doing? If I find out Dishonored 2 all takes place in one giant city and it's one giant open world game, I'm going to be a little upset. Like, what what made that game so much fun was, again, sandboxes. That's why, you know, the game that Caitlin really lit up when I said, when I talked about it earlier, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, like, I am super excited for that game because everything yeah. that they've showed for it is just exactly that, small yeah. sandboxes of player agency. Like well, I the guy, the the guy who created Dishonored also created Deus Ex 1 and 2. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Caitlin, get in there. Like I, I expect the areas in Mankind Divided to be larger than in Human Revolution. Just, you know, it's it's going to be larger. But they're going to be, like you said, they're going to be sandboxes. They're going to be defined areas. It's not going to be an open world like you can travel throughout an entire city. I don't expect that. I expect different, smaller areas as you travel. Because you're probably going to be traveling from Intricate area. areas. Yes, like, that are much the, more focused on letting having these story elements that you have to go through, but giving you enough freedom in the size of the area to approach it different ways without it feeling like you can just set out for the sunset and never come back. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. yeah, well, it's the difference between, you know, in a game that's not that, getting into the building is I walked in the front door or I jumped in through the one entrance. In Deus Ex it's almost like the buildings are realistically modeled because they are the content that you're, you're playing. It's not like they were like, well, let's come up with a bunch of systems and then build a bunch of really hollow areas to have you run around and use it. It's sort of the opposite where the systems of the game are your ability to interact with the levels. Mm-hmm. God, that I, I think we're going to have to talk about some games that we're really excited for, like sprinkled in here with our thoughts of the year. Like, that huge long demo that they showed for the game, I, you know, I saw the game at E3, and then to watch the latest demo that they put out, as when they put out that demo, and then a couple months later they were like, "We're going to delay the game to August." I was like, "I'm fine with that. I am absolutely fine with that." You guys have really like 
my god, they, they've ripped off the best parts of Dishonored with the little blink, like his little Icarus dash thing, and oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the way that now combat actually looks like it could be fun. Like, it looks way more Mass Effect. I don't know about you guys, but I died really fast if I ever went for combat in that game. Like, you, know, you didn't but, upgrade your augments for uh, combat. Apparently not. Well, I just didn't feel like... And, and they were. Very I mean, I, I, I did a ghost run, so... They were very honest about that at the demo at E3 and also in the video. Like, they felt that their combat portion of the three pillars wasn't as good as it could be. Like, it was there, and I know John yeah. John played it a lot of combat. It was there, but it wasn't as fleshed out. Now it looks like you can become a dump truck in that game if you want to. And just all the options that... Well, the, the combat in Hero Revolution was very Deus Ex 1. Yeah. Where it's like you have the ability to learn these combat abilities, but they're all sort of goofy and clunky. Like Deus Ex one was essentially the get the super, the super strength and throw dumpsters at people. Which that was, awesome. that, that was the whole game. Yeah. If you were combat, it's like, yeah, I can get a rocket launcher or I can throw dumpsters at everybody. There was one level where I just carried a dumpster with me and kept throwing it at people. It was awesome. I'm just so excited for that game. I, I was blown away by it. It, it just, Oh, <sighs> well, yes, I am that... in the same boat. It seems like they have more budget now, too. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, Human Revolution is a, is a very pretty, great game, but it's a pretty low-budget game by the standards that they apply, you know, to their big-budget big releases. Mm-hmm. This one seems like they have a lot more money to just be like, this is pretty because reasons. Yeah, yeah, and, and they've, got, they've improved their art design. Like, they, they were the ones who said it's not as piss-colored anymore. Like, they kind of toned down the yellow a little bit because it, it was... It was a lot of yellow in the original game. It didn't bother me so much, but I know it kind of ticked some people off. But it just seems like they have a confidence. It was a lot of yellow, but it was also an aesthetic. And I like I don't mind there being other colored things, but I will miss the... I think that that was a strong aesthetic. Like, yeah, yeah some people didn't like it, but Blade Runner is also a very blue and gold movie. Yeah, no, it is. It is. So that that's at like the top of my list for super highly anticipated. And I, and again, I was happy to hear it was delayed. I was like, okay, you guys, you seem to be on to something here. If delaying it is going to make the game better, it's the same reason why when Witcher got delayed, I was totally fine with it. Like certain times, especially when you start getting down to crunch and they start. Can you imagine if Witcher three had come out when they had wanted it to? I mean, it took like a month and a half for that game to be in a much better state. So, you know, imagine if it had come out in, what was it originally? February is when they originally wanted it out? Can't remember. Something like that. I don't remember when it ended up coming out anyway. Came out, hey, came out right before E3. Oh, yeah. Like early May is like the first or second week. Caitlin, what else are you excited for next year? Uh, Well, aside from Deus Ex. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, like, you know, the obligatory Persona 5, I mean, who's not excited for that game? I keep forgetting that that's coming out. Like, that that's one of those, like, moments where I just go, oh, yeah, that's coming out next year. Oh. Do we See, get that's, a- that's, that's, for me, that's 15. That's the game I have to remind myself is coming out next year because it's, it's not, it's actually kind of fallen on my list of, oh, I'm really excited for this game. I'm... I'm personally way more excited for Persona 5. Uh, yes, you know, me too. You know, we 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 did the stream when Steven first got the demo for Final Fantasy 15, and I watched it, and it didn't blow me away, but at the same time, it didn't turn me off. I was kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm going to play this, but I don't know 100% if I'm going to like that game. Persona, not that I I'm pretty not, sure I'm going to love it. 
not that yeah. I am not very excited for Persona, and I'm certainly that that's not something I'm concerned with. So I just sort of forget about it until it comes out because I know that's going to be come out and be good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I say that having not liked Shin Megami Tensei four, but uh, different design philosophies. Uh, FF15 is a great example of what we've been talking about today. Um, I think it's unfair to judge that game by the demo because the demo is literally a demo of an alpha version of the game that oh, sure. came out over a year and a half sure, 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 before sure. the game itself will have. And, you know, it was clearly still in the middle of being designed. Like, we don't often get demos of games that are literally still having their systems finalized. Uh, you know, I, I I almost feel like Episode Duske shouldn't have come out. I mean, the, it came out because the internet's like, oh, it's never going to come out. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, and they released it to give people some hope that they would actually be playing Final Fantasy XV, which I understand that. But I also feel like it has given a lot of people the wrong idea. On the other hand, if the final quest design is as trite and horrible as it is in that demo, then it's going to fall right into one of those, why is this open world to begin with? Uh, But on the other hand, if you listen to how the the lead talks about the way they're designing areas to feel like like places and that they're thinking about the culture of areas and like, you know, what food do they eat in this town and why do they eat the food in this town? Like, it's a really interesting perspective. Um you know, that could turn out really good. Because I was thinking about other games that I really like that have a great sense of place, and Xenoblade 1 comes up, where, my God, are the individual quests super terrible. Mm-hmm. But the overall experience is of a very memorable world. Like, Xenoblade has a lot of explorable area, but I remember those areas so well, partially because of the good story, but also because of what a great sense of place the first Xenoblade has in terms of its world. Like... Fallen Arm is one of the coolest places I've ever been to in a game. Mm-hmm. Straight yes. up. Yep. Like, it's called Fallen Arm, and it's the fallen arm of a giant sword. Like, you're, like, running up a sword. You know, and it, no, it's, it's the fallen arm of it's a the, god. Yeah, it's a god's fallen arm and his sword. And so that's really cool. Even though there, but... the individual quests are sort of horrible and, like, go collect five Bathmadads. You know, FF15 has the same thing in its demo of, like... But I actually would argue it's a little more egregious because the game has these, like, narrative elements tied to it where, like, someone's like, hey, Noct, come check out this random nonsense I found. It's a shiny thing. You found a generic item. Uh, That needs to not be in the final game because that is not compelling in any way. Like... You know, if it, if it, maybe it'll the game will come out and that will tie into some sort of interesting progression system, which might make a difference. But they need to tread very carefully in the wake of even even Xenoblade Chronicles X. Now does a much better job of of incentivizing you for exploring mm-hmm. and doing its sort of more menial tasks. You know, but in the in the era of a game like Witcher and Xenoblade. It's inexcusable and unentertaining to have to walk around picking up random flashy objects that are nothing. Like, mm-hmm. so I appreciate. Um, I'm, I'm on the. I'm, I'm of the opinion that 15 definitely they have a lot to be concerned about, or I have a lot that I'm concerned about in terms of its open world. But I'm still very excited because I think Tabata has a history of releasing games with a very memorable plots. Yeah. See the the plot. What we've been shown the cutscenes that sort of have explained a little bit of 
what the world is like and what's going on and who Noctis is and why he's out there on a road trip with his buddies is interesting. And I want to see more of that. I, I, I really want to see more of the political side of the story because that's been what's interested me the most. Um, it doesn't, has nothing to do with the fact that it reminds me a lot of 12, um, you know, nothing to do with that at all, but I want to see more of that. You know, the problem with dust guy was that it felt it's a big open area that pretty much seemed like if it was in the game, it would be side stuff. It'd be, it would be side quests. Exactly. It's all side sort of we're in the forest, just digging around. Yeah. Which it could be fine if that's a way to, you know, break time between main story points, but you know, it, uh, the main story better be a lot more substantial and, you know, important than, than that. It's, it's the difference. If you wanted to make an analogy with an older final fantasy, Duske should be the world map type area where I'm running from one place to the other and I'm occasionally completing side quests, but the, in the city moments need to feel more focused and drawn in. Like, you know, things need to be happening. Yeah. I agree. But that's, I'm definitely, I think I'm more interested in how that turns out. Because again, Persona 5 for me is a sort of, I know that I'm going to get that. And I know, you know, I'm, I'm jumping the gun, but there's, it's not going to tank. And so <laughs> I'm less interested in how that turns out because I'm more confident in it. Uh, 15... I feel like I have a personal stake in 15. I really want that to be good because I want to be I want that series to regain a little bit of its glory and I would love for you know all of the naysayers who've been like it's never coming out for it. like oh it came out and it was pretty good. Mhm. No, that's how I feel. I I think Persona 5 is going to be good. Like I'm not worried about that game. Uh so like from an academic perspective, I'm almost like just get it to me. Like I I will start playing this and I will enjoy it. 15 feels like a game that is taking a lot more risks and that could really pay off and that might not. So, you know, I'm excited for 15, but I also don't know if I'm going to like it. And I think that's also a little bit of history. I haven't liked a mainline Final Fantasy game in a long time. So that doesn't mean it's not going to be a good game, but it might not might not also be a type of game that I'm into. And I am a little open-worlded out, like we've been talking about on the show. Like, we've played a lot of open-world games recently, so... Open-worlds are not interesting because they exist. Like, yes. people are like... And that's the thing, is that's that's what I think Dusk sends the wrong message, because it's like, here's a giant space that you can't easily travel, and there's nothing in it. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing that I am really excited about is Zero Time Dilemma, the third yes. episode in the Zero Escape games. I haven't been this excited about a game strictly for story in a long, long time. Like, the story beats that they have set up with the last two Zero Escape games, and this supposedly ending the trilogy, like, my brain is going What's to funny happen. is that we, we sort of already know what's going to happen in it, too. We, we know the main story beats, but it's like, how are we going to get there? It's very much in the, you know, not to go back to Star Wars, but it's very much in the, we know Anakin's going to fall to the dark side. How do we get there? And well, that's, that's, that's exciting. That's what's so interesting about the fact that it's kind of a prequel sequel. Yep. Because yep. it takes place before Virtue's Last Reward. 
but it ha- but it takes place with the characters having the mind. It, it's it's very meta because they now understand like in the world of that game in the fiction, the characters know what you know, and that's that things are going to transpose over from one instance to the next. Mm-hmm. And so now that you know that, an entire game is predicated on that now. Oh, Caitlin, you need to play these games. <laughs> I know. So I just i i so i have good. so many games to play oh, right I now. I do not need more right now. They're I need to play. So good. I need to play the second episode of Dongan Rampa before we get to Dongan Rampa three. I I really like the first game. Uh, Steven, I would. I, I got your complaints about it, and the game does start off super tropey, but it did kind of figure. So does nine 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 though. Yeah, it, it started to figure itself out. I really like the trials, even though there were some mechanics that didn't quite work. There, there's one moment where you have to spell out like a proper word to kind of imply something that's happening, and I don't think using a abbreviated version of a mental illness is the right way to go, so I was like about ready to throw my Vita across the room, because I'm like, I have no idea what word you want me to spell. Like, I have absolutely no idea what word you want me to spell. So there were weird moments like that, but that that game really sucked me in, and I ended up playing like four or five hours every day until I beat it. It was very engrossing, and I kind of said to myself, I want to take a little bit of a break before I jump into Danganronpa 2, but the third one should be coming out, and it's going to be on PlayStation 3 as well. So that's kind of kind of interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, and I wanted to go back and, and ask about Persona. Do you think that... Do you th- do you guys think Persona Five ends up on Vita, or do you think it's just PS3 and PlayStation Four? I think just PS3 and Four, but you know. Yeah, I think somewhere down the road it could. Well, uh, Vita won't exist at that point, but Persona Five Red Edition. Well, I think the problem is that that would be it would be like three going to PSP. It sort of was a downgrade. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, you know, it, were the Vita in a better state, I think it could be possible. But at this point, I think it's sort of. Not going to happen. Well, um, it can not be Atlas... on your Vita through remote play via yeah, PS4. Yeah, that's very true. So, I, you know, I don't know that that will happen because, you know, now they're actually making use of that sort of really great next-gen style. Well, it was next-gen when it came out in Catherine. Catherine looks amazing, and I'm super excited that Persona's going to look that way now, too. That's the yes. point. Yeah, yeah, the it's art style of Catherine was incredible. It, it, but, I... like, like, not to... Not to harp too much on the train but persona 5 is so stylish looking (laughs) like every bit of that game is designed from the standpoint of a craftsperson which is good because we're going to get spinoffs of it for the next probably five to ten years right right but you know it's every piece of that game is 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 crafted Mm -hmm. Uh, and i think that another game that we've we probably have to spend some more time talking about it if our message boards are anything to be believed. Uh, one of my most anticipated games, Phoenix Wright <laughs> 6. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that a lot of that argument, even though we've only seen, what, about two and a half minutes of Final Fantasy VII Remake footage, it looks like they are crafting everything on that game. And the style and sense of Final Fantasy VII-ness was definitely there in that opening trailer. And so to see kind of the, to see them really focusing in on, we're going to take your memories of the previous, of the original game, and we're going to push them forward 
and put our own spin on it, but really not lose it. I mean, Midgar feels like Midgar. Biggs and Wedge look like Biggs and Wedge. I'm on board with that game. You know, I know that there's been a lot of a lot of turmoil, a lot of anger, a lot of vitriol about this game, but you know, I'm still in the category of let's see what they're making right now with this thing. Like the I, last time somebody wanted to take our memories of a classic PS1 game forward and you know expand on them, the Resident Evil remake. Yeah, the Resident <laughs> Evil remake says hi, everybody. Like there, there doesn't. I they're changing things. I'm terrified. Yeah, it's. I mean, to be fair, the Resident Evil remake also, <coughs> excuse me, did not change the core gameplay system. But the core gameplay system in the original Resident Evil was more compatible with a modern visual style. Right, right. I just think yeah. that there's. I think the only thing that I can really get behind with a lot of the anger directed toward the Final Fantasy VII remake is that the messaging has been clunky. That they, they've been trying. I think they're trying to be transparent in what they're doing, but it's it's coming across in a negative way. But it also means that people need to calm down because I think they're still figuring out what the hell this thing is. Like they're still putting it together right now. I don't expect we will be paying sixty dollars for every installment of this game. Square Enix has already done. Didn't Square Enix publish Life is Strange? Correct. Yeah. Right. Uh, they're doing their thing with the new Hitman game, where you spend sixty dollars and you get a half the game in March, and then for the next three months, a new level unlocks, and you're not charged any additional fee for it. I mean, Square Enix is experimenting with this stuff, and you know it backfired with the Deus Ex Augment Your Edition thing, but they rolled that back, listening to fan reaction. I. I don't think it's time to reach for the pitchforks and the torches just yet and go, you know, all Resident Evil 4 on them right now. I, I don't the problem think we're not there. is that you're being logical, and this is the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII remake. And the Final Fantasy fan base is already the worst people on the planet. Because every new entry is terrible and never as good as the one I like the most. The series hasn't been good since 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, like... Final Fantasy fans are the worst. They hate every entry in the well, series. They buy the, each one and they complain about it. Uh, since we're all Final Fantasy fans, I think what you mean is the vocal subset of the Final Fantasy fan base that complains about every little thing is are the worst. There are plenty of awesome Final Fantasy fans out there who may have their reservations about the remake, but are willing to wait and see more of the game and hear more of what they have to say before they pass judgment. It's the ones that are like, you know, writing it off right now because of bad, frankly, bad uh, PR and a two and a half minute demo footage where we didn't really get to see a whole lot in the first place. They, that, yeah, let's, let's stop that. They're the ones who expect if everything is the same, they are happy, and then they complain that Square played it too safe. Those are the people who wanted political crap from the prequels in the new Star Wars, but then complained that it was too similar to the old ones. They wanted the same thing, but then they got it, and they complained about it anyway. I think there's some truth in that. I, you know, I'm, I would say I'm one of those people that hasn't liked a mainline Final Fantasy in a long time. But, you know, I go back to all my complaints about Final Fantasy XIII, I don't like that game, but I don't begrudge people that like it. It's not the game that I wanted, and that's why I didn't play it. Final Fantasy XII, I think, was a well-meaning game, but it 
it, it was kind of a mess when it came out. The Zodiac job system does some things to fix it, but I overall don't enjoy that game very much. I love 10, you know, crazy story and all. I adore 9, especially at the beginning. I can't wait to replay that. 8, mm-hmm. moving on. Uh, 7. Was, to, be, to be clear, my laugh was for 9, not for 8. I I love the beginning of nine. I love the beginning of nine, and I, I there's a butt in there. I want to replay it. It's been a long if only, time since uh, I played nine. Hmm. Hmm. Caitlin said there's a butt in there, and I said if only. <laughs> but like you know, I think I'm one of those people that hasn't liked a Final Fantasy game in some time. But I'm not writing off the remake. I'm not writing off Final Fantasy 15. There's there's trepidation. There's the well, I don't really know if you guys are, are interested in making games that I'm interested in anymore. My tastes have changed. You guys have kind of changed what your focus is. I'm not angry at you people for that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not angry at the makers of Final Fantasy for that. I'm like, you guys continue to make the games that you want to make. And if you make something that I'm interesting, I will come back and play it. And there are also all of these other games that are available to me that I can play and really enjoy. Like, you know, we haven't even, I don't even think we've said the word Undertale on this podcast, but apparently that game is in fact the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to some people. I'm and about halfway through a playthrough of, of it. Is is it worth it? I think you'd hate it. Okay. You're pretty, I, good. You're pretty good at judging me. It's, I've it's, been turned off by everything I've seen from it, so. It's Earthbound. But probably, it's hard to explain because, like, I thought I would hate it because I was like, all right, this looks like hipster indie garbage. And I think the intro is easily the worst part of the game. But it's also one of those games that's very much like 99 or VLR where the brilliance of it does not become clear until you've played it more and you start to understand how the game is functioning. And that's in that it's trying very hard to create a real set of characters and consequences. Uh, you know, because at this point, everybody knows there are multiple endings in it. Mm-hmm. And you can play the whole game. It's a turn-based combat system, but you can play literally the entire game without killing anyone. Um, you know, meaning you'll be level one at the end. And that's, and that's how you get one ending. There's a neutral ending, a pacifist ending, and a genocide ending. And... I am to understand the real brilliance of the game becomes clear as you play more. Uh, you know, as an example, if you get the genocide ending, you can never get the pacifist ending again because the game's characters will comment. You know, I, I don't know because I haven't seen it, but I've, you know, I've heard bits and pieces here and I guess spoilers if you're playing Undertale, so don't listen to this part. But, you know, <laughs> the game's characters will actually comment on the fact that, you know, at some point you killed everyone in the game just because you could to get an ending. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of a meta narrative. It's also very funny and has really good music. You know, it's, it's ugly as poo. Uh, the, the art design of the monsters is good. It's a really particular game. And I, I don't know where I fall with it yet. I think, uh, I, I, I do not agree even, you know, I've only played half of it and, you know, I don't know the endings yet. So of course this could change because, you know, 999's ending does change the game pretty dramatically in terms of how amazing it is. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't buy into the arguments that it would be game of the year over like Witcher 3 because the Witcher 3 is way more fun. Um, but it's definitely, it's an interesting piece of fiction. Uh 
it, I think comparisons to Earthbound are pretty good, although it's it's a little more reactive than Earthbound. But you know, it's it's definitely interesting, and I would I would I would at least recommend trying it. the The first like thirty minutes are a little tedious because it's sort of a you're in this area called the ruins, and it's this underground, very monochromatic area that you know it it looks ugly, and that's sort of by design, and that's because as you play through the game, it gets sort of more lively and colorful, and that's part of the experience. So it's it is. It's a very carefully crafted game for all this talk we've been talking about how, you know, games trying to create a sense of place with their areas and characters. It absolutely does that. And it's legitimately a very funny game. Like I was I was playing it, streaming it to Mike and like we were both like, oh, this is dumb. This is dumb. Uh, ha, ha, ha. And then like it sort of gave way to us laughing at almost every line of dialogue because it's quite funny. Uh, you know, so it's. I don't know that I have the the kind of hero worship that it seems like a lot of people do, uh, but it certainly has its merits. And I'll, once I finish it, I'll probably be able to talk about it more. But you know, it's it's an interesting game, that's for sure. I I I, I would say the hype is pretty high for it, but it's also you know it has a lot of heart and charm. So, but I wouldn't like it. No, you'd hate it. Okay. <laughs> No, that's fair. That's fair. You, I, you would hate it because it's a story-focused game that that requires that you sort of beat your head against it. There, as an example, to get to to play the game and not kill people, there's a battle. The first major boss battle. In order to do it non-pacifistly, you have to re- do an action in battle. You have to show mercy, which is how you basically what you have to do is. Um. So you have to figure out the preferences of a character. You have you have fight, and then you have act, and you can, like, you know, if you're talking to a dog monster, you can, like, pet him on the head, and, you know, if that calms him down, then you can show mercy and end the combat nonviolently. And, you know, a lot of the jokes come from that, in that, like, you know, you'll fight, like, a, a, a hypersensitive slime who's, like, sensitive about his weight. And so you can comment to him about his weight, or you can tease him, or you can not. And so you get some funny dialogue out of that. Well, the first major boss battle, for all intents and purposes, it seems like you have to kill this boss because no matter what you do, you have to mercy it 24 times with no change in the dialogue, mostly, you know, over and over and over again. And you're dodging its attack every time. And then if you succeed the last time, it's finally like, wow, you're really determined. Okay, fine. We won't fight. And then it ends. So I see you hating that. But that is part of the experience in the way that repeating the initial section of 999 is part of creating a narrative sense of the experience. So you just saved me eight bucks on Steam sale. I'm good. (laughs) I'm I'm good. That was all you need to say. Steven Steven got it. Like, but again, I don't I, I go back to my argument about Final Fantasy and, you know, that's not my cup of tea. I don't feel the need to attack that you know i think where i get a little heated is when people try to say like you know i'm trying to think about things i've gotten heated and i'm actually struggling here a little bit but like when we talked about skyward sword and i remember when i went to arena net and i was hanging out i was going to point out your thoughts on the star wars trailers but But like when we when I was hanging out with a bunch of other video game people at ArenaNet and we started talking about Skyward Sword and people were like, oh, my God, I love the combat in this game. And I was like, really? I only got it to work like 
70% of the time, and that's not good enough for me. Like, that's that's kind of when I throw the gauntlet down, is when I'm like, the gameplay mechanics stuff. When I'm like, hmm... I couldn't reliably do something in this video game that required pinpoint accuracy. Like, that's that's the moment where I'll go from, okay, we each have our different cup of tea, to I think you're honestly defending something that doesn't work properly. You know, like, that. that's like, to go to the Resident Evil remake, that would be like if the defensive items just didn't work sometimes. Well, sometimes they don't. Well, if you get grabbed from behind, they don't. But otherwise, they do work every time if you let them grab you from the front. It's hey, remember when you could kill the, the game's new boss in one hit if you were clever? Is that uh, if you get the zombie rid- in the coffin? Oh, what do you have? What do you have to let do? Him, let him grab you and put a flash grenade, put a grenade in his head, and then shoot him, and you blow him up in one hit. Oh uh, yeah, if you're playing as Chris, you can do that. No, I mean that's. But again, the, the gameplay mechanics stuff. You know, it, it's. I think that's the stuff where I can get heated. It's like, okay, I can I can walk away from something and go, this isn't my cup of tea, you know, I don't really like this combat, that's great. But it's it's when people start saying, oh my god, like, this is the best thing ever, that I'm like, mm, I don't know. Like, I think that there's... That I agree with. That kind of hyperbole is, I think, what... I think that's why there, there's so much internet backlash to Undertale. <coughs> Excuse me. See, I feel like it's the internet darling right now. Like you it can't is. read well, about. Well, that's what yeah. I mean. It's the internet darling. So you have the groups of people who are like, "How could you possibly imply this is better than Ocarina of Time?" And then you have the people who legitimately love this very unique, engaging experience, and that I can appreciate. But you know, whenever there's one extreme, there's going to be another, and I think that's the problem with Undertale is that people are so fervent for it that you know when someone hears, "Oh, this," you know inexpensive little indie game is better than The Witcher 3. People are like, you, that can't possibly be true. Blah! Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, like, if people enjoy that more than The Witcher 3, that's fine, but my vote for Game of the Year is probably still going to go to Witcher 3. Like, Well, and that's, and that's sort of, you know, my thoughts on that are that, like, not that I don't like Undertale, but Undertale is, like, the short novel I read in between my, my big novels. Mm-hmm. It's the short story to my bigger novels. And, you know, the people who love that game would probably take issue with that comparison. Uh, and, you know, that's that's sort of why I think Undertale is interesting, because it's a very artistic kind of game. Um, but it, it's it's a it's more it's it, it's more than I'm probably doing justice to it. It's a very interesting type of thing. But that, that again, that's the thing that comes up is it's like, you know, you have this epic 90-hour RPG with, like, morality and, you know, all this different gameplay. And, you know, you have Xenoblade, this giant JRPG with crazy involved combat and millions of systems. And, you know, then someone comes along and says, well, Undertale, this cute little game where you talk to skeletons that have font puns as their names and it's a joke. That's my game of the year. I feel like that, you know, even if you don't want to, somebody reacts strongly to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And that then that's, you know, that's that's interesting to me because, um, you know, I obviously I've played Undertale and I'm like, there's no way this would come anywhere near my game of the year list. But on the other hand, it is a unique experience and I can see why it would have that effect on people. You don't begrudge people's opinion on it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I and it's again, I bring up the comparison to nine nine nine. You know, I have not finished Undertale, but 
999 is an experience that is significantly shaped by finishing it and seeing how the three, the multiple endings interact with one another. And it's unforgettable. So if Undertale has that, I could see that. Because, you know, 999, if that had come out in a year where, you know, I was at the site or, you know, I played it on time, I would probably argue pretty strongly for 999 being a game of that year because 999 is an unforgettable game. And so is VLR, you know, so that I can appreciate that sometimes the narrative experience does trump the gameplay experience. I think it's just such a disconnect because Undertale is a very humble looking game compared to like your Witchers and your Xenoblades. So it's like, you know, we say, how could that possibly compete? But, you know, it's competing as an experience, not as a set of systems and graphics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I had a similar reaction when I started playing Tales from the Borderlands, which I, honest to God, thought this could be play that. game of the year for me. And I'd already played Witcher 3, and I knew that Xenoblade was coming up, and it's kind of like, how can I possibly think about putting this game over those two? And I didn't in the end, but it's still on my list, and it's because of that very same thing. It doesn't have... You know, a gigantic world. It doesn't have the super awesome, you know, beautiful graphics. It has stylized, pretty graphics, but you know, it's the, the focus is on the story and how you interact with that story and how you can, you know, go through and make changes and see how that affects the endings and whatnot. So that there's definitely that. a there's definitely a place for that kind of experience, and it can be just as much of a valid game of the year experience as a game like Witcher 3 or Xenoblade, even though it's not designed to be that big, super dramatic open world with lots of different things to do kind of game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's and to sort of bring in another game that I'm really excited for, I wasn't kidding when I said Ace Attorney 6, because, you know, in the span of less than a fourth of 2015, I beat Phoenix Wright 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I'm like... I'm playing the 3DS one now, and A, that's the first one that sort of got a major graphical overhaul. It's full 3D and, like, really lavishly produced. And it's really exciting to play that because it's, like, this whole new look at a world. And, you know, it, it involves all of the previous characters. It probably has more story continuity between it and the previous one than any of the other games. And, like, you know, as an experience, those are probably one of the most memorable things I played last year. Like, I remember tons of little moments from that series just because of how good the narrative is and you know it's it's sort of like phoenix wright is a bunch of still graphics and text and i would say it affected me as much as the storyline and pillars of eternity if not more so in terms of attachment and pillars of eternity is this big massive rpg um you know and it's it's just you know as an experience it's not one that I am likely to forget. Like it's such strong characterization. Um, and you know, that's, that's sort of why I'm excited for Ace Attorney six, because there's, there's a character in the original trilogy who does not appear at all in Apollo justice or dual destinies. Um, that is sort of a fan favorite and she just doesn't appear at all. And so Ace Attorney six is hinting that she might come back and it would explain why she's gone and you know we've sort of we've talked about it before, but Phoenix is not a lawyer in the fourth game, um, and so that's a that's one of the big mysteries of the fourth game is why he's not a lawyer, and there's a lot of people wondering like, oh, does, is the fact that he's not a lawyer does that tie into why this character disappeared? 
And so, you know, I'm not looking forward to Ace Attorney 6 in terms of thinking, oh, it's going to have four new giant cases in gameplay. Not that I don't like the gameplay, but it's purely in terms of the narrative experience I'm hoping to get out of it. So, you know, it could well be that Ace Attorney 6 comes out and has this amazing finale that I remember really fondly. And all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, Persona 5 was great, but I also had this wonderful narrative experience. So how am I going to react to that in a year from now? You've almost made me get back into the series, Stephen. You you should. The HD collection's on sale. Ooh. It's, yeah. Uh, he, it's 13, 15 bucks or something. Someone, someone awesome uh, got it for me for Christmas, so now Merry I have to play Christmas. it. Is that, on, th- is that on 3DS or? Yeah, yes. 3DS. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, maybe. I got so many games it's to also play. On, it's, it's also on uh, mobile platforms. It's on uh, Android and iOS. Hmm. Oh, boy. So many games coming so out next games. year. Am I going to get screwed? Are you guys going to make me play Dark Souls 3 for the site? Am I going to have to do that? Or can we get one of the younglings to do it? You're going to end up taking it, and you and I both know it. No, oh, I, yeah, come on. No, I'm being honest with you. I really don't. I really don't want to take another one. Like, man, I, I will say that the last trailer for the game, there was a big giant tree enemy with a giant hand coming out of it that was kind of like, all right, that's kind of cool. Like, that, that was a moment of like... Okay, that looks way more inventive than anything that was in Dark Souls 2. But, you know, I just don't... Uh, every one of those games, I think, takes about five years off my life. Like, playing the old Hunters for a review took a lot out of me. And, you know, we, we talk about how you can, be pr- you can be critical about games that you still really like. I really like Bloodborne, but there are boss moves in that game that are just broken. Like, that, like all of a sudden, the camera will just flip out... It can't keep up with it, and you're going to take damage because the mechanics aren't working. Like, that uh, dodging one of Abridius's attacks is just complete, you know, bad word I can't say on here. Like, it's just crappy. Well, they, the very they, first, well, not the first required boss, but one of the very first optional bosses in the game does that, where she jumps and you lose sight of her and the camera doesn't know what to do with it. So. Yeah, and, and you can end up like walking backwards while you're meaning to walk forwards, and then you get slammed. And, and, then, you, so, and then you die. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that's like one of those things where, again, I'm being critical of a game that I really enjoy because I want them to do better. Like, I don't want them to just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I don't want them to be like, oh, we can just keep releasing the same thing year in and year out. Like, the camera problems in the Souls games are getting a little old. Like, I'm reaching a point where I've been complaining about these camera issues since Demon Souls. It's about time somebody figures something out, or maybe we just go in a completely different direction with this franchise, because it's not fun anymore. And then you see extreme examples of that in games like Lords of the Fallen, which make me want to pull my own eyelids out, where the camera just is not – the camera is working against you more than – You don't want to pull your eyelids out, because then you'd have no choice but to look at it. I have to stare at it now. <laughs> oh, God. Well, the, the, the good news on that side, we, we seem to have a lot of people – who enjoyed Bloodborne and thus may be interested in Dark Souls 3. I'm not necessarily volunteering myself, but it is something that I might consider checking out. So uh, you, you're, you're in. <laughs> I'm making you do it. You don't? Well, yeah, but no, I shouldn't review it because I haven't played any of the other Dark Souls games besides Bloodborne. I don't have the history with the series to really write a good review. So well, the, the history of the 
Souls games reviews is always really funny to to look at. As, as Stephen and I were having our you know debate back and forth about Bloodborne through text, and at one point I was just like, "You do realize that Dark Souls Two has a higher Metacritic rating than Dark Souls One?" And Stephen's like, "Well, that's not right." Like that, there's this weird thing that went on with those games where like so much criticism was lobbed at Demon Souls and Dark Souls, and then Dark Souls Two became a critical dar- darling, and even more so, you could argue. Bloodborne is the highest reviewed game out of all the Souls games. It's my personal favorite, but I don't know if it should be outscoring the other games in the series. That's kind of a different question, but it's it's this weird thing that happened where like popular opinion on those games really did like a 180 to an almost absurd degree. And I, you know, I'm kind of I'm very curious to see what happens with 3. I think 3 could be the game that actually very much under reviews. Like, I, I actually want three to be really good, just so that way you play it and end up liking it, and I can just be like, "Ha, told you so." Told you so. <laughs> if that's, it's if that's it's, my entire reasoning. Well, if it's good, it's good. But I've only seen one thing in that game so far that had me like, "Oh, okay, that looks interesting," and that was one boss. Everything else is. It, it's not making the statement of when I was in the E3 theater and I saw Bloodborne for the first time, and I was just like, <laughs> like. This game is dripping with more personality than I've seen out of almost any game in the past 10 years. Like, it didn't have that moment with Dark Souls 3. But then again, maybe it'll be awesome. I just don't want to review it, guys. Somebody else review it. I need a break. Please. There's a... To, to go a complete 180 from stuff coming out this year. Um, there's the new uh, Mario Luigi game that has Paper Mario in it. Ooh, that just came out in Japan. It seems pretty well pretty well received. Thunderous silence. There's me. also uh, Final uh, Fantasy Explorers, also coming out this month. Yeah, I kind of I, I I remember being really excited for that, and I kind of need to need to decide if I'm going to get into it. I'm I want to st- get it. I, I'm still more excited about uh, Dragon Quest Seven VII and Eight finally coming to America on 3DS. That's what I'm like, really. And, and watch, I don't like Dragon Quest Seven after all my bitching and moaning for us to get it, but I'm really, really excited to play that. My, uh, really... I can understand that, though. Like, you what? know, it could suck, but we, we want people to be able to play it. Yeah, and I, I want to really like that game, and I, that way I don't have to kill Steven for getting that copy at MAGFest last year. Well, apparently people love it, and my roommate was explaining the original to me because he played it and loved it. Um, and the story sounds awesome like i i don't want to spoil it because it's essentially going to be a new game for a lot of people but it like do that it sounds like the the narrative structure is fantastic well and i really that's the reason i love dragon quest 8 so much that was my first real dragon quest and that game was dripping with personality like the main characters in that game were so amazing that then when i played dragon quest 9 and you're playing a bunch of blank slates that was really it was the reason I didn't like Dragon Quest Nine that much. Like the combat was fine, but it didn't have that personality, and that was really disappointing. Uh, but we're finally getting seven and eight, and I think eight is totally worth playing again because that game is really, really fun. And that is an open world. Like that—that that is what I would want out of the Final Fantasy VII remake is that type of overworld map because there were so many cool things to find in it, and like little caves and things that actually had meaningful equipment. It was a very smart way of having their cake and eating it, too. Like, having the the open-world box quote, but also having a very structured landmass. 
Well, I I don't know that I would call that open world. That was essentially just a scaled world map. But but again, people would probably say open world so that you could have you know back of the box quote. That's what I mean by that. Is like, hey, there's this big, there's this large landmass that you can explore. Hint hint, wink wink. Even though you're right, it is very much an overworld map. So th- something else that just came out in Japan to sort of jump off segue uh, Steven's segue earlier uh, that we're getting next year that I'm excited for, which is probably a little controversial. I know at least among the three of us here it might be controversial is um, Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem, or as it's currently being called Gene Ibondoku Sharp Fire Sharp. Emblem. I'm just going to call it hashtag Fire Emblem. Yes, now. hashtag Fire Emblem. Yeah. I really well, it's supposed to be like the musical notation. But yeah, anyone looking at that title is going to think it's a hashtag. So I don't know. Anyway. It bombed sharp, pretty hard Sharp in sales, makes more sense because it has a lot of singing in it. But again. It bombed, it bombed in Japan. Unfortunately, it, yes. It didn't even sell through half of its very modest uh, sales, yeah. which was like 70,000. So it hardly broke 30, I think. I don't. Um, but on the other hand, it's also on the Wii U and it's a niche crossover title. So it's, it, it was never going to yeah. sell huge numbers. Did yeah. anybody expect a Shin Megami Cross Fire Emblem game to be a J-pop turn-based RPG? No, but I'm well, freaking excited about it. But, but that's I, like- I live in Japan, and I think an idol culture is a serious social issue to me. So unless the game is a fairly strong condemnation of that, I, I have just, I have, you know, you could say it's a weird ethical stance to take, but I just have problems with the proliferation of idol culture. I thought I was going to hate it in Persona 4 Dancing, and that game is sort of just one long condemnation of idol culture and what it does to essentially the the idols themselves uh i don't know i feel like the game's visual design is sort of rainbow vomit but on the other hand it apparently plays like i like i like this thing is i like color but i feel like it's hyper saturated and you know and there are the other questions of like how is this even a crossover because the fire emblem aspect of it seems very surface level the, uh, by all accounts the game apparently plays like a Shin Megami Tensei game but well, based on what I've seen it it sort of looks like that it, there are fire emblem elements in it there the certain I don't I can't I don't want to spoil but there are definitely fire emblem elements the gameplay on its surface is going to look a lot like Shin Megami Tensei weaknesses but there's a twist thrown in the you know in the reason why you use weaknesses is it helps you kill enemies, you get bonuses, whatever. The bonus in this game has a Fire Emblem twist to it, which I think is pretty cool. And it can be really freaking awesome, depending on how you chain things. So I'm excited for it. Hmm. And I just want to throw that out there. It's, I, I've been watching streams since the game came out the day after Christmas, and it's only increased my hype through the roof now and I'm like salivating waiting for a release date announcement for us because it's supposed to come out sometime this year. I don't think the sales will sa- will save it here, but I just want to have it. So give it to me. I am interested tentatively. Uh but I have not liked what I've seen. It doesn't like not that it, I think it looks outright bad. But what I've seen just looks like something that I'm not interested in playing. 
But on the oh, other no. hand, when it comes out, I will probably reevaluate. All the power to you, you know. I'm not interested in some games that are coming out next year and you know, just you you are interested in what you're interested in. I'm just I'm at least I'm happy that we're getting it because it is a more niche even within the <laughs> Atlas family of of RPGs. It's it feels a lot more niche and it's it's gonna be interesting to see how um, Western audiences react to this game that is, you know, set in Japan and feels very Japanese in terms of like the whole idol culture and whatnot. I don't, we we don't really have that kind of, you know, outside of like American Idol and stuff like that. We don't really have that kind of thing going on here. So it could bomb here too. I'm just excited that we get the opportunity to have it. Yes. <laughs> well, I think we should, uh, no, 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 no. If you're going to say that's it, I have one more thing to say. Derek will kill me if I don't. Okay, and then I was going to give everybody a chance to make one prediction for next year, so I wasn't just ending it. Okay. Well, uh, this is actually rather recent because it just came out like a week or two ago, but Trails of Cold Steel, Legend of Heroes, Trails of Cold Steel just came out, and we're supposed to be getting the second game next year, or this year, sometime um i'm hoping in the next six months and surprisingly i'm really really excited for this now because i've been really enjoying the heck out of the first game and i cannot yeah. wait i i just I, I just picked up the first one as well it, it should get here in a day or two the fact that it's essentially valkyria chronicles 2 plus persona is very compelling to me um the storytelling and, and writing were never my problems with Trails in the Sky. The terrible pacing was. So this seems like it corrects a lot of the combat issues I had with Trails in the Sky. It does. Uh, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. I like the the whole that you, you know, have that time to spend with the other students, Persona style. Uh, and then the military academy thing is very Valkyrie. Valkyria. Uh, so I'm looking forward to playing it. Yeah, I I really wanted to like Trails in the Sky, and I do intend at some point to go back to it and try to finish it. But it was it was hard for me, um, and I'll I'll be transparent and say that a big my big issue was the datedness of the graphics and some of the systems, uh, which were cute, but is also I'm just not the kind of person who can really wrap my head around that a lot unless I've already have a reason to be invested in it, and so. One of the big things with Trails of Cold Steel is it's by all means it is not it's not a current gen game it's a last gen game and at sometimes maybe even a little bit of an ugly last gen game but it's a nice step up from the older uh, games in the Legend of Heroes series and then the horrifically ugly Trails in the Skies games yeah sorry I I'm sorry I know I know people some, there are people that really like that because it's a classic style for them and that's cool I just I really appreciate the you know bringing the series into 3d and it it looks and runs pretty well as i'm playing it on vita and it runs there's some slowdown but it runs pretty well for you know the first 3d title in the series and what's great about it is they up the graphics the battle system runs faster runs smoother is more more ways that you can manipulate it to uh, match the situation but they didn't do anything to change the great you know 
characterization and the deep story and that, you know, I really, that was the best thing about Trails in the Sky for me. And I was sorry that I got distracted and couldn't finish it. And so I'm really looking forward to this game. The fact that I am from the, from the, like the very first prologue of the get of the game, I am super excited for it bodes well for me actually being able to finish it and then play the next one when it comes out sometime this year. Please be soon. Please be soon. Do you got would I like it? You might actually. Uh, it seems pretty solid. Um, it, it looks it, it looks kind of cool. I like the art style. Just looking at it on Amazon right now, I kind of like that. Very very light and poppy. I like that. Yeah. Well, again, it's it's sort of like a, a cross between Valkyria Chronicles two and Persona in that you know you have time to spend with the other students to develop bonds with them. Um, you know, it has a the combat system in Trails in the Sky was never bad. It was just slow. And this one seems to be much faster um, while having that sort of like materia system. Uh, the what the hell are they called? The orbments. Or, or, orbments. Yeah. Um, and like the whole military academy as a setting is something that I think has a lot of potential. Um, and it sounds like they deliver on it. So I don't know. Maybe you would. All right, gang, I think we each need to make a prediction for next year so that we can have the Stephen was right or Caitlin was right or the dreaded Rob was right uh, t-shirts ready on hand. Uh, who wants to make a prediction for next year? I'm still thinking, so please go go before me. Can my Stephen was right t-shirt have a picture of J.J. Abrams and the Star Wars logo on it? Hey, what do you know? J.J. Abrams made a movie just like the other movies. Good? <laughs> Yeah, but the new Star Trek movies weren't just like the old Star Trek movies. That's why everyone hated them. Well, well, that's uh, why, despite making a lot of money and reviewing well and people liking them, everyone seemingly hates them. Well, it, it was weird to watch everybody just kind of apologize for Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, every interview that J.J. Yeah. Abrams gave, he was like, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, we kind of screwed that up. And I was like, okay, I, I appreciate that. I think he was essentially apologizing to Star Trek fans. I sort of feel like they're the only ones that hate that movie, but you know uh, they're the one, you know they deserve to not have the thing they love. I, I think that when you when you're running when you're hitting so many similar beats, I want to be careful here. I don't want to give stuff away for people that haven't seen Star Wars yet. And I, I think Star Wars is a good example of doing it right. When you're gonna travel so many similar beats to kind of have that you know full circle thing or you know have something that sounds so similar, you can do it in a good way. And you can also really screw it up. The Force Awakens does it well. Into Darkness was horrible. Like it, again, it's it's almost like that was the, the test run, and then they were like, okay, we can't we we can't do all of that. And then having you know compelling characters also helped with Force Awakens. But make a prediction, Stephen. Hmm. Are you guys gonna make me go first? Yes. Mine's easy. I'll make two predictions. I'll make okay. one. I'll make a real one after. My first one is that everyone complains about the Final Fantasy VII remake, no matter what is announced for it. That's not a prediction. That's just cold hard fact of what's going to happen. I'm I'm not going to accept that one. But I I see why you're going to do another one. Um, my prediction, and you have to listen to the whole prediction. It's it's not you know don't 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 get the pitchforks yet, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, E3, when they announce the Nintendo NX, whatever the hell it is, uh, Zelda will be coming out for the NX, as well as the Wii U. But they're they're going to pull a Twilight Princess on everybody. And it's... 
I, I, I'm a little upset that so many people on other podcasts and on message boards are like, you're an idiot if you think they're going to bring the new Zelda to the NX. I'm like, and you're an idiot if you don't think they're going to. Like, the Wii U is going to get the new Zelda, yes, and so is the NX. Because they are going to need something for that system immediately, especially if the rumors are true and that thing could potentially launch next fall or spring. Like, they're going to need something. And I think the writing's kind of on the wall. Also, Link's a girl. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I don't think Link is a girl. I think it's a girl. And I think it's a... I have, that is not me complaining at all. But I think they have been cagey, and they've shot this thing from off footage. For well, Nintendo also doesn't say anything about anything until they're almost done with it. So it's not that they're being cagey because Link's a girl. I think they're being cagey because that's what they do with Zelda. Okay. Who else has a prediction? Um, Just don't name her Link. Okay, my, my, my really optimistic prediction would be that uh, Final Fantasy XII HD is either announced or announced and released, but probably just announced. I could actually see in being announced and released. Mm. Because, if for no other reason than this is... That's the missing what? one. Well, but... Uh, I forget, did it come out in 05 or 06? Uh, I was in... Uh, 06. 06. So this would be its 10th anniversary. So it's like kind of the perfect time, although it better be... It will be Zodiac... International job system if they do it, which they should. So, I'm very certain it would be. Yeah, yeah. I could see it happening. It, it's kind of the missing Final Fantasy right now, like with all the the 10 HD stuff, with nine about ready to be re-released. Th- there is kind of a gaping hole where 12 should be, and 12 has a very strong fan base. So, and getting the Zodiac version would do a lot to kind of rectify that game. Uh, rectify is a strong word. It would do a lot to to really make that game into what I think it should have been. Speaking of things on a related Final Fantasy note to that too, the 9 thing, having the speed-up thing essentially oh fixes my, my only problem with 9. Oh my god, I can't wait to play that game again with the speed-up function. The battles would be so much more enjoyable. Even, <laughs> FF, even FF7, which is not a terribly slow-paced game until you get Knights of the Round, uh, <laughs> is amazing with the speed-up thing. It's just like all of that tedious, like of the like random battles is so much lessened by having the that, speed up. That was the only thing about nine that after not playing it for so long, when I, when I picked it back up long ass time ago, I was like, man, this is slow, but I, I really like it, but damn, is it slow? And yeah, I had the same reaction, which is weird because I don't remember it bugging me that much when I played it the first time. I, I think persona came along. I, I, yeah, I, I think we've just gotten away from slow turn-based battle systems, which is why it is so repugnant to me in Trails in the Sky, and I wish we had a, tur- a turbo in that, too. It's just, you know, it it's it takes up time that it doesn't have to take up to accomplish literally the same thing. Well, it was the... When I, when I played uh, Final Fantasy VIII when it was released for the PlayStation Network I, as, like, my second review for the site, it was like, I can't... I, I I find it incredible. I couldn't remember like how slow that combat was because when you tell Squall to ready an action, he has to lift up his gun blade. If you're playing active time battle, the time battle bar actually stops while the character readies their move, begins again, and then he performs the move. It stops during the move. It's like, you know, I would actually play 8 again with the turbo button, and apparently it's on that too. So, I mean, that's, you know... 
a- adding that functionality and making the game snappy again is really good. And you know, also 12... being able to see it in HD. Yeah, and twelve really benefited from the the Zodiac version that I played briefly. That really benefited from the turbo button. Like that was wow. And twelve wouldn't need as as big of a. It doesn't really need a whole lot of help graphics wise. It already when it's run up 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 res, it looks pretty damn good. So could, could they do something about the audio in that game and the fact that everything is so horribly compressed? It yeah, sounds, that it that, sounds like it was all recorded inside of a closet. They all sound like boom. That would be my number one request. Actually, would that that not be an issue? Because it's not an issue in the Japanese version. It's only in the dub. So. Please fix that because the dub work is really, really good. Yeah, I just like, why does it sound like they recorded in a closet? <laughs> like, god damn it! Yeah, yeah I, I hope they can remaster that. Oh, but don't touch the music. Nope. Don't do it. Nope, love that music. I will agree with. I that. would love it if Sakimoto got to take another crack at it. If Sakimoto did, yes, I don't want anyone else touching that music. Well, they don't let other people touch the music in any of the other games. Yeah. Steven, your prediction? I think uh, many existing Wii U games get ported to NX. I think that's fair. Uh, including, I think, a, a version of Smash Brothers with all the DLC. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's a real shame that the Wii U didn't take off, but I also don't think they quite had an idea for it. I, I think it's very much a system that was... You know, trying to do the record skip moment again of the Wii, um, but it just didn't. It didn't quite get there, and I'm not ready to dance on the grave of Nintendo. They have too many strong IPs, and they're going to be able to do something with it. And the 3DS is still a monster of a system. You know, they they could do something really cool, but I think you're right. I think a lot of Wii U games end up getting ported over to NX just to have a library. If if the NX is going to come out as quickly as some reports are saying. Well, it sounds like the NX is also going to be like a hybrid, like mobile, not mobile system that can do both. So I'm guessing it'll have like a strong remote play function. And like if you yeah. saw those controller patents where like this, it has buttons, but it also has like a moddable touch screen. Like the whole surface of it is like a, it sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, I think the, the Wii U is probably a wake up call that you can't just have avant-garde tech without a cool idea behind it so it'll be interesting to see what they can pull off with it yeah i I would really like it you know as i'm listening to the giant bomb uh end of the year podcast right now i would really like it if developers would kind of especially on the new consoles the playstation 4 and xbox one would really focus on what those consoles can do because we've had a couple of high profile games come out this year that don't run very well like even my beloved bloodborne that game's got some frame rate issues and you know I, I don't think these consoles are as powerful as people were thinking they were going to be, and so they gotta. But if if a game's designed from the ground up, like Uncharted 4 looks absolutely stunning, uh, and Halo 5 somehow manages to run at 60 frames per second because apparently it had wizards working on it, like I, I really want the the game developers to focus on really using the strengths of these consoles because playing Fallout 4 on PlayStation 4 was a little. A little rough in places. There were some moments where we got into one one frame a second animation. Yeesh. 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 Right. But 2016, baby, it's here. There are going to be a large number of RPGs released this year. Yes, there will be. Uh, RPG heaven. You know, hopefully we get the next South Park game. I would love to see that. Uh, 
God only knows where we're going with uh, Mass Effect, but I think we're all excited. We're going to get a Persona. We're going to get Final Fantasy 15 apparently. More news on the 7 remake. It, it's going to be a wild year, and I think the only thing that I want to leave people with right now is it's easy to be cynical, and I myself am, you know, I, I fall victim to that at times, but I think... You know, let, let's see where we go here. I, you know, I'm being cynical about Dark Souls 3. But if Dark Souls 3 is amazing, I will be happy. Like, I hope that game's good. I haven't seen anything that makes me really excited about it. But if it turns out to be amazing, fantastic. If the Fallout 4 DLC adds a lot of much-needed story to that game, that's awesome, too. Like, I'm not ready to hate things before I even play them. And so let's, you know, everybody relax a little bit. We're, we're going to be okay. Let's just... Play the games play and the, love them. Play the games. And love the music because, oh, God, the music. Ah! So much good music, music coming out this year. This year, I can't even. It's, oh, music of the year for 2016 is going to be off the charts. I'm just saying that right now. That's another prediction. Off the charts. Off the charts. Off the rails. So for everybody, uh, thank you very much for listening, and we will see you in 2016, everybody. Happy New Year! Should old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Yes.